Amen. Thank you, Natalie. Powerful prayers. In light of uh, Galatians 6, I was thinking about dear friends. I'm going to turn to Galatians 6. That would be great, our final chapter in the book of Galatians. So, you know, dear friends, they, uh, so a number of years ago, they live in a different state, um, but uh, they were walking with the Lord. They were uh, committed Christians. In fact, they were neighbors of the pastor of their local church. And, uh, I believe he taught uh, Bible study in the morning and so forth, and uh, she served the church in a variety of different ways. Their kids were connected with uh, neighborhood kids, including the pastor's kids, and, and uh, they really struggled significantly in their marriage, pretty much from day one, really, really struggled. And they fought hard, and they sought counsel, and, and uh, unfortunately, after 17 years of marriage, they got a divorce. And it was devastating to them, both individually. It's a little bit closer to the wife, we'll call her Rebecca. And, and she, this caused her to really ask some significant questions about who is God, and where was he in the midst of the difficulty? Why didn't he answer? The numerous prayers prayed. And so just to really and had the honor and the privilege to walk with her to a certain degree in that. And, and eventually she said, um, I think I need to pull away from the faith. And I knew that she was going to pull away from community. And I, I really did my best I, to encourage Rebecca and to say, listen, I get it. I understand it. In fact, I've been there. And I understand the questions. But would you journey in a community? Would you just, would you wrestle in community? Community is so important for these questions. She just said, I can't. So, now this was several years ago, and the story of Rebecca is good. She did reconnect with the Lord. She did find him again in a fresh way, and today she has a relationship with him and I celebrate that. I did talk to her briefly. Asked her about sharing her story. And she said, well, I don't want to. Uh, you too. The community thing is still tough for me. And I said, I get it. Right? The community things for me is tough for me. And I'm the pastor. Right? I said, but... I think it would be important for folks to hear a little bit of your story because community is vitally important to our faith. Whether it's in times of doubt or struggle and disillusionment of the faith or whether it's time of vibrancy and we're called to, to uh, use our gifts for the faith. There's this power in community. 
Yes, the Christian faith is very personal. We've talked about that, this Abba Father relationship that we get to have. We get to encourage and experience God one-on-one. Hallelujah. And yet, the power of community is real. And it's amazing that in the early church, there was no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. There's no such things as people kind of journeying on their own with the Lord. And yet it is so prevalent today in today's church, at least in America, yes? Mm-hmm. People are like, well, I'm spirit. I still believe. I have all these things. And yet not significantly connected in community. Galatians 6 is an interesting chapter. In case you haven't noticed The book of Galatians is a theological book. He's wrestling with some important theological ideas that salvation is by God's grace alone. That we're called to serve and respond. We are compelled by God's love. We're not earning God's love, but we're living into and in response to God's love. That we get to experience the love of God personally and one-on-one, that Abba Father relationship, and yet we're compelled by that love to serve others and live in the freedom of Christ. There's great theology in there. And yet chapter 6 is perhaps the most practical chapter where he says, okay, let's talk about how we live these theological ideas in community, in relationship with one another. In fact, he just kind of one after another, he just kind of he just kind of shares all of these ideas and says live this way in light and I want you to hear as we read the book of Galatians chapter 6, I want you to hear in light of all the theological things we've discussed, then how does that work itself out practically in the day to day? in our relationship, not only with God, but also in community with one another. In fact, I want to read, I I believe that uh, in uh, Galatians 5, if you look at uh, verse 22, I don't think we have those on the screens. I want to read the last couple of verses of chapter 5, um, just to that we would be mindful that these verses really set up the final chapter. These verses are this. You'll know this one, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, uh, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He's calling us, he's saying, hey, you are to be Spirit-centered Christians. And now he's going to get to Spirit-centered community. Then he says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. He's turning this idea of who we are in Christ, how we live the faith, and then he shapes it and says, all right, let's talk about community. Let's talk about how we live this together. And he says in verse 1, brothers and sisters, 
If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, catch that, right? You who live by the Spirit. He's saying, I've covered this. I've talked to you about living in the Spirit. Now, those of you who are living by the Spirit, his first example, he says, all right, let's talk about people who are caught in sin. Let me give you a practical instruction for this. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. He was saying to them, he's saying, listen, I want you to be mindful of how you live this life in the circumstances that arise in community. So let's talk about these circumstances. You know, the last couple of months had uh, a number of folks, both single folks and couples, who have um, confessed sin to me and asked how we can walk together in that way. And as they confess their sin, my, my first response is to say, you dirty sinners burn in hell. I have a flair for pastoral care. It just kind of, it really just flows easily from me in that way. As these people, dear saints, were, were confessing, I was thinking of this verse. How do I live this verse out in light of those people that are confessing? The, the Greek word, for um, restore, it's kind of hard to say in Greek, kartartzitzo. I probably messed that up together. Don't hold me that against that, David, Henny. All right. It literally means to mend a net or to set a bone. Think of that spiritually. When we're in sin, it's if our nets are broken and shredded. It's, we have a, a broken bone in our body that needs healing. So when we're in sin, there's a brokenness in our soul spiritually and needs someone who will mend it, not someone who will condemn it, not someone who will uh, bring excommunication or, or judgment. In fact, that word, the Greek word gently, is the same one that we read. We started in the fruit of the Spirit. Right? One of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. He's saying, by the way, as you grow in that fruit of the Spirit, so bring that to circumstances of confession of sin of people caught in a sin. Those who live by the Spirit, those whom the Spirit is working on, those character issues of love and patience and gentleness and kindness, live that out with one another. Now, there's been circumstances that gentleness would not describe my approach. In fact, one of the things I realized is that sometimes the best way to love someone is directly and forthrightly 
confront them with their sin. Oftentimes that happens when I'm with uh, couples and one is trying to make the marriage work and one is steeped in their sin. And there's been times I feel compelled by the Spirit that I speak a truthful, almost harsh, but in love word to the person that needs to hear it. So just pastorally trying to grow in that, but asking the question, is their, heart, is their heart soft in this moment or hard? I've realized when people are coming to me with confession, what do you think the state of their heart is? It's pretty darn soft. And I think those are the circumstances that Paul is talking about here. Not that we don't ever speak a hard word, because I think sometimes when people's hearts are hard, we see this demonstrated in Jesus, right? With the religious leaders, often there's a hardness of heart, and he speaks the tough word. But I think that here, Paul is hoping that through his letter, through the truth spoken, that there will be another, a number of Galatians that will say, gosh, I've really understood this faith wrongly. I've, been, I've really been living it out wrong. I need to repent. And he's saying, that's the heart I'm looking for. Restore them gently. Don't compromise the truth. Don't compromise what has been said. But restore them gently. Look at uh, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, in there, I think number two is this second instruction where he says, by fulfilling the law of Christ, you can, for those who are overburdened, those who are carrying a lot, those who are struggling in your community in particular, this is an opportunity to fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? There's somewhat discussion about this. In fact, Paul is doing something really interesting. Remember, they've been referring to the law and referring to Mo the Mosaic law and Old Testament law. And he's saying, no, no, that's changed. So Paul brings together the, these ideas of the law of Christ. Any sense of what the law of Christ, when he says the law of Christ, what that would be? I, I think it's pretty simple. Remember back in uh, the earlier chapter, he says, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. It, it, it's there. We, we are meant to be a people who are following the law of Christ. In fact, in another place, he says Christ is the culmination of the law. Romans 8, 2, he says, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, another creation of Paul, the Holy Spirit working in the law. But I'm really drawn to John 13, 34, when he says, Jesus said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another again. Some would say, you know, this wasn't a new command that Jesus gave. It was 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. That was Old Testament. They knew that. But listen to that last part. He said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Reiterating this idea that we are compelled by the love of God that we've experienced, not to earn salvation, but to live lives in response to God's love. And when there's someone that's hurting, when there's someone in need, when there's someone that is overburdened and really struggling, Paul is saying that is the opportunity to live the law of Christ and to love them well. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Remember the last verse of chapter 5 when he says, Don't be conceited? He's starting to weigh in on that. And then he says something kind of confusing, I would say. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. What? I thought he said, don't be conceited. And then he's saying you can take pride in yourself. How do we understand that? Let's finish the sentence just a bit. He says, um, lost it here. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. What Paul, I believe, he's saying is he's saying, boy, there's huge danger when you start playing the comparison game. But you should reflect on your own life before God. When you start comparing yourselves to others, well, then that can lead to envy and jealousy and all sorts of of unhealthy things. But when before God you're testing and looking at your own actions and who you are, then he says there's a good pride that can take place in your life. I was trying to think of an example of a good pride. It's an opportunity for me to boast on myself. Not not boast, that's bad pride, right? Actually, I was thinking of my wife and I. And I am convinced that each and every one of us, we we have a a self-centeredness to us, right? We're all selfish. And that's going to be, we're going to struggle with that for our whole lives, right? In relationship with Christ, part of spiritual maturity, part of the formation process is that we start praying for others. We start living a life that looks differently than our selfish lives, our old selves. And that I am called to move, continue to move from a place of self-centeredness to selflessness. Are you with me? Would you say you're on that journey? Yes? Yes. Okay, thank you, Mikey. 
Appreciate that. All right, now, I would say, I, I mean this to be um, a, a taking pride in my own actions. I would say in terms of Kendra and I, in terms of our prayer lives, in terms of our giving and generosity, in terms of our thoughts and discussions between us and with one another, we're a little bit less selfish last year than we are today. And I feel like God is saying, yes, good. Do we have a whole lot of way to go? Of course we do. I mean, especially Kendra. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> in fact, oftentimes Kendra leads me in that, right? Especially with giving. God is working a, a generosity in her soul, right? And I'm growing along with that. Now, I could compare myself. Oh my gosh, I live so much better than Jedediah. I mean, boy, he's still stuck in selfishness. And then David, oh, I feel great about myself. See how that quickly moved? When I compare myself to others, right, in those ways, Paul is saying, listen, this is what, this is, the, the Judaizers, that, that was in community. They were saying, and they're saying, boy, we follow the Old Testament law and the food laws, do you? Are you kosher? You're not. Ooh, right? Circumcision, you haven't been circumcised yet, but I don't know if you're fully a Christian. In fact, I'm doubting your salvation. See, all of that is comparison. He's saying, no, the freedom in Christ in part frees us from comparison to one another. That we get to stand before God and say, God, what are you working at? How are you shaping and challenging my life? Am I responding in those ways? Can I feel the Father's delight in some of that spiritual formation that's taking place in my life? And all of that, I say that regarding Kendra and I, not in comparison to anyone else, but really in comparison to ourselves last year. I think that's what Paul is getting Verses 4 or 5, let me read verse 4 again. Each one of you should test their own actions. Then they can, there's a little bit of self-reflection in that. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one of you should carry their own load. Wait, I just thought he told us to carry one another's load. And now he's telling us to carry our own? What's he mean by that? I would say he's saying carry the weight that God calls you to. Again, without comparison, without looking at that, I often like to think of time, talent, and treasure, and the Christian life is a life that we're called to community, and we're called to use our gifts and our abilities the way that God has given us resources to impact this community. 
And if you are not, if your life is not weighing in on the benefit of community, maybe you're not carrying your own load in community. One of the things I said to Rebecca, I've said it to her many times, is I believe there's three conversions that we, the Christian goes through maturity. We're con- converted to Christ. We're converted to his cause. And we're converted to his church or community. We're called to allow the resources, our time, talent, and treasure to impact the community of faith. And that's how I think he says, right? Remember, this is a number of years ago. I still remember this image when we preached through the book of Nehemiah and they're trying to rebuild the walls and there's this awesome moment where you know the walls of Jerusalem are all down and each family says, I'll take this section. I'll, I'll take that section. I'll take this section. And they, they were outnumbered and they didn't have the resource and all that. They just said, you know what? Whatever the section that God leaves, that's what we'll just try and start rebuilding to add to the community. I believe there's a dynamic work at place in this community of faith. And are you allowing the resources that you have as an individual, as a couple, as a family to impact and build the wall of this community of faith. Carry your your own weight that God calls you to. Look at verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. This verse is particularly self-serving to me as I'm giving you instruction of the word, so be generous. All right. No, I want to just tell you that just not only me, but the whole staff, we are very thankful to be in this church and we feel blessed by the generosity of this church, that you guys are are supporting and caring. And really what Paul is advocating here is that we would have a generous common life, right? That we would... Uh, be a part of the support of the work, the, the staff and, and the mission work here in this way. Now, I was thinking about this uh, coming from a, from a different angle because I wasn't always a pastor. There were times when I was in social work, right? And I wasn't, I was earning a, a living outside of the church. There's also a time when I was an uh, intervarsity staff person, like a college pastor, and I had to raise my own support. I was right out of college, and it was, it was really challenging, and I had to go to people and ask that part of their financial support would be, go to me. And so one of the things that InterVarsity did really well is they helped us to understand biblically a justification that we can raise our own support, that, that it's good, that God blesses that, that sometimes people can give and I said, well, what about the church? How do we wrestle with that? And they said, listen, well, verses like this, it says, we're meant to give a portion of our resources 
to where we're fed and also we can give that to the greater mission of God. Now, we, we don't want to be legalistic about it. I, I think you can use tithe means 10%, a tenth part. So just generally to use that as a guideline, right? That's how the law works now, not to be legalistic. So I don't know the percentages of your giving exactly, right? I don't look at that. In fact, I can't keep any of those numbers in my head. I don't know the percentages exactly of what I give, right? But... So here was the principle, is that I wanted to take roughly 5% of my income and support the local church that I was a part of. That that was my way of being a part of a generous community. Am I exactly at 5%? I, I don't really know exactly. Probably Natalie knows. That's kind of weird, right? But, right, rough that. And then the other 5%, I wanted to be generous with, right? And utilize other ministries like Life Network, like uh, missions beyond what our church gives in missions, like InterVarsity, give a little bit back to InterVarsity. So a variety of those times, sometimes, oftentimes, Kindra, right, will feel called to give money not to a ministry but to individuals, right? We're, we're, we're utilizing that. We're, we're seeking to be a part of a generous community life. And that's what Paul is arguing for here. He's saying, remember, you want to live differently. The, the world, so materialistic and greedy, right? We, it doesn't make any sense to give any money away. He says, no, 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 you're called to community. You're called to generosity. You're called to live in such a way that reflects the love of Christ. Okay. I was going to just camp out on verse 6. No, I'm just kidding. Going to 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Friends, I would say these verses 7 and 8 are illustrating one of the most crucial principles of life. That if you really live it, it will transform your life. Here's the principle. It's really simple. Reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. For the sake of time, I'll, I'll just make this story short. But in my most difficult time of struggling in my life, when I felt like hatred and accusation and lies were being thrown at me for an extended period of time, and everything in me wanted to respond in like manner. I thought of this principle of life. I'm going to reap what I sow. I'm going to reap what I sow into my kids' lives. That in our relationship, if I sow bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred towards others, what am I going to reap? 
the same exact thing. And so I call it playing the long game. What I plant in the ground or the soil of a relationship, of my workplace, of whatever that is, what I plant, I'm going to see fully grow. Right? I hope this doesn't come out as a boast, but as a, as a, a positive pride. Right? So my kids, I just got a call from them, if they're watching online, hi. Right? I got a call from my son for some advice. And then I got a call from my daughter with some advice, for some advice. And then with P, who's at home, she asked me for some advice. And I was like, I think that's, I was trying to sow wisdom and love and kindness and forgiveness into each three of their lives. And I got to see the fruit of that just this week. Friends, what you sow today, you will reap tomorrow. Sow the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit. Not that terrible list that Paul has earlier in verses 19, 20, and 21. Sow good seed and plant to please the Spirit. Verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, except the people you really don't like. You don't have to do good to them. (laughs) Well, that was a paraphrase. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of Christ. That's the the final principle, do good to all people and trust God for the results. Yes, we can become weary when we don't see the goodness coming to fruition. Yes, we can be discouraged, right? We can feel that weariness right there. And he's saying, listen, results, that's up to the Spirit of God. That's, he's going to produce that. You just, you are called to reflect the goodness of God. If I asked you, what do you think is the reputation of the evangelical American church today, what words would you use for reputation of the evangelical American church today? Not really, I don't really want to know. I think we all know judgment, yeah, you could, hypocrisy, right, tons of stuff, right? Tons of stuff there. Do you know how that changes? Look at your neighbor. It's you. One day at a time. We do good to the people we really like and the people we really don't like. We do good to the people that view things politically like we do. 
And we do good to the people who view things politically not like we do. We do good to those who don't do good to us. Ouch. That's how we change the reputation of the church. All right, let me just read these final verses. It says this. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Paul probably was dictating the verses, and he probably takes the pen. I think the thorn in the flesh was his eyesight. It's my personal opinion. And he takes it, and he starts writing with large letters. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. What Paul is saying is that these Judaizers are actually cowardice. They're cowardice because they're trying to make the cross of Christ easier, especially with those with Jewish roots. Not even those who are circumcised actually keep the law. They're not only cowardice, but there's a hypocrisy that's there in their lives. Yet they want you to be circumcised that you, they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast, that's the bad kind of pride, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, a sacred detachment from the things of the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. Yes? All of that should fade away. What counts is your new life in Christ and how you live it. I love it. New creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. Some people call that a rule of life. I believe he's looking back at the, the whole book of Galatians to the Israel of God. For now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of, Christ, of Jesus. Some think that was the stigmata, the actual marks of Christ appearing on Paul. Or it could have been his suffering for Christ. The grace in the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. All right, so I'm just going to leave you with this. Next week, we are going to do something really special. We are going to do the, uh, a Reader's Sunday. Okay? And so we've been preaching and walking through the whole book of Galatians. And together, we're going to come together, and I'm not going to preach. No applause, please. All right? I'm going to give a little bit of framework and, and shape. But what we're going to do, remember in the Voice of the Martyrs video, they were talking about it's, it's a Bible challenge and how powerful the Word of God is just to read in that. Did you read, I, I don't know if you read the, the, in the insert, it talks about the Chinese government shaping, putting study notes in to shape it towards communism. If that allows the Word of God to spread, Great. Because the power of the word of God is going to overcome any false teaching, even if you put it in there, right? I was encouraged by that. Maybe the word of God will spread in communist China. 
because of that, right? It's the power, it's taking in the word of God and letting it rest on you. So we're going to do that and, look, and read the whole rule in that way. We're over time. Would you stand up? Can we stand up together? Give you the benediction. All right. If you feel comfortable and want to put your hands out, go ahead. That would be great. So, Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, know that community is hard and challenging and difficult. And yet you've called us to community. Lord, teach us to love one another well and follow the law of Christ. Holy Spirit, would you help us not to compare ourselves to one another, but before you, hear your voice and grow in you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you as individuals and we love you as a community of faith. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.